this winter leading up to Easter. And so if you have your Bibles with you, your, your devices, please turn with me to Mark chapter 9. And as you're turning to that section, I just want to highlight or just want to remind us uh, where we are. We read uh, the Gospel of Mark uh, last summer, actually, and we took a break. We're coming back to it. The first half of Mark deals with one simple question, and that question is, who is, who is Jesus? Um, it starts out, the whole book of Mark starts out by Jesus getting baptized, and there's a voice that declares, this is my son whom I love. And at the very end of uh, the first half of Mark, um, Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And then Peter declares, Peter makes this declaration Peter says, um, you are the Christ. So that's how the first half of the book ends. And then second half is about not Jesus' identity, but Jesus' mission and our discipleship. So the first half of Mark ends by Peter declaring who Jesus is. Then immediately following Peter's declaration, Jesus begins to talk about suffering and what it takes to follow him. And so Pastor Jonathan talked about that last Sunday, that we need to lay down our lives, pick up our cross, and follow him. And so the second half of Mark is that. It's about Jesus now turning his face towards Jerusalem, particularly the cross, and he's journeying towards his death, and he's calling his disciples to follow him. The theme of uh, the second half, we called it uh, setting our minds on the things of God because what we will begin to see is the disciples don't get it, right? Disciples are, are purely thinking through their own mind and seeing through their own eyes. And Jesus again and again will correct them saying, no, this is the way of, of, the, of, of following me. And he will help them to see things better, see things through his perspective. Now, as we start the second half, Jesus takes his disciples, or, or three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and they go up to a mountain. So that's where we are. And so we'll start from verse 2, chapter 9, verse 2. And after six days, so Jesus has just told them, uh, you need to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Uh, verse 2, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matters, matter to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead might mean. They asked him, why did the scribes say the first, first Elijah must come? 
And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how it is written to the son of, of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did, they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Verse 14, And when they came to the disciples, these are other disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw Jesus, saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he, was a, he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whatever he seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Right, we'll stop there. So we'll, we'll focus on the first half of chapter 9, the transfiguration passage. So here are three questions that we want to ask this morning. What is this passage about? Why is it here? And then, what does it mean for us? So, what is this passage about? Um, simply, this passage is about Jesus' glory. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, we see Jesus' power, we see His compassion, we see His wisdom, we see His kindness, we see His love. But here, in this passage, Jesus displays for a brief moment his glory, right? We see in this passage how he became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. Mark is simply saying that he became otherworldly, right? Nothing in this world can compare to Jesus' radiance, his beauty, his splendor. And for a brief moment, these three disciples got to see this. And then we read here, a cloud came down from heaven and, and engulfed them. This is a picture that we see in book of Exodus. Like book of Exodus, God comes down in the form of a thick cloud. God, that's how God leads the Israelites throughout the, uh, around the desert. And uh, in chapter 24, God comes down again in form of cloud. And he invites Moses up. Moses is in this cloud, engulfed by God's presence for 40 days, right? That's where he receives the Ten Commandments and all these laws. He's with God in his presence for 40 days. And then later on, as we keep reading the book of Exodus, when the tabernacle is built, the presence of God comes down in a form of a cloud. And when Moses would enter, he would speak to God, and when he would come out, people would be afraid to go near Moses because Moses' was, Moses's face was so radiant, so displaying holiness and glory that people were afraid to go near Moses. Well, this is exactly what's taking place here. We, we see, uh, we, we read about the presence of God coming down in a form of a cloud. Uh, it engulfs Peter, James, and John, they are terrified. The only difference, and the, the, this is a major difference, is here, uh, Jesus here doesn't just reflect God's glory, right? Here he exudes God's glory, meaning the Gospel of Mark is again telling us Jesus is the Christ, 
Right? He is not one of the prophets. He doesn't reflect God's glory. No, he is the glory of God. Jesus exudes God's glory. And so there they are. Most, uh, uh, Peter, James, and John, they, they are engulfed by God's presence. They see this radiance coming out of Jesus, and they are terrified. Now, interestingly, um, Peter doesn't say, Jesus, can we, can we leave this place? Uh, this, is, this is terrifying. And that's not what he says. What, the, what does he say here? He says, Rabbi, can we build houses or can we build three tents? One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Um, what, is, what is Peter saying? I think this is what's happening. He's, on the one hand, he's terrified. He's afraid, right? He's in the presence of God. He recognizes something is not right with him, and, and he's afraid. But at the same time, there's this longing. Like, he, he wants to be there. He wants to stay. He's asking, Jesus, it, it's, it's so good to be here with you in your glory. Can, can, we, can we stay? Can we stay a little longer? Can we, can we build tents so that we could dwell here with you? And as soon as he says that and the voice comes down, God says, this is my son, beloved son, listen to him. And afterwards, everything disappears and only Jesus remains. And that's what's happening here. And so again, we are seeing the glory of God. And the reason why I think these three disciples, there's both fear and, and um, just wanting to get closer, wanting to stay, is I think that's how God, what God's presence uh, does to us. On the one hand, we feel uncomfortable when the presence of God is here. The presence of God is with us because we know that He is holy and glorious and we're not. But at the same time, there's this like there's this comfort, there's this longing that longing uh, that that says that cries out. This is this is what we're made for. We want to stay here. It always happens that way. On the one hand, we want to draw closer, but at the same time, we want to withdraw. We feel uncomfortable, but at the same time, we feel comforted. We repent of our sins. At the same time, we give adoration in our worship and prayer. That's what happens because we're God is holy. Jesus is glorious, and we're not. But at the same time, this is where we are headed. Glory. The Bible tells us that Jesus, once He returns, He will bring us into glory. This is what we're made for. And this is why I think um, we, we are drawn to beauty. Right? It could be beautiful stories, whether it's a book or a movie. Uh, stories of redemption, it, it draws us beautiful uh, places. That's why some of us like to travel because we want to see something glorious, something beautiful. That's something different than what we're used to here. Um, beautiful relationships. Right? That's why we, we pursue community and pursue deeper relationships because something about connecting with one another in a deep way reminds us that this is, this is what we're made for. We're attracted to beauty. And and it's, it's, it's there that the, the, we're longing for these things because that's what we're made for. Um, I like this quote from C.S. Lewis. He wrote a book called The Weight of Glory, and this is what he says. He says, uh, for glory means good report with God, acceptance by God, response, acknowledgement, welcome into the heart of things. The door on which we have been knocking all of our lives will open at last. 
At present, we are on the other side of the world, the wrong side of the door. But all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. I mean, the the longing is there. And these three disciples, they see the glory of Jesus. They're both terrified. And at the same time, they want to stay. That's what God's presence uh, does to us. So this, this passage is about the presence of God, the glory of Jesus, right? The second question is, well, why is it here? Why does, why does Mark start out the second half where Jesus is now going to go to the cross and he's calling the disciples to follow him? Why does he start with this passage here? Interestingly, as I mentioned before, the whole gospel narrative or Mark and Mark starts with Jesus' baptism. Jesus gets baptized, heaven opens up, the Holy Spirit of God descends on him like a dove, and there is a declaration from heaven. You are my son, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And then Jesus is thrust into ministry, earthly ministry. It's as if uh, the triune God, as Jesus is starting his ministry, it's like they're they're sending Jesus off with much love, right? And uh, those of us who are older, you, we have kids in college, and that's what happens, right? We kind of huddle together before they go, to, go off to college, and we just want to make sure. And we can talk about many other things. Make sure you do your laundry. Make sure you keep your uh, you know, room clean. Make sure you, you know, make good friends. But I mean, we can say all of those things, but at the end, we just say, hey, we love you. Just remember that we love you, and we send our kids off to college, Right? Those of us who've done, done it before, that's what, that's what we did. And, and that's what's happening in the triune God. Like, Jesus is off to go into do his earthly ministry. His life will be difficult and his end on, on the cross. And so the triune God gathers and blesses and adores and loves the second person of the Trinity. That's what's happening. Well, at the midpoint, Mark chapter 9 is the very midpoint. Jesus is now is, is focused on the cross. He's talking about following him. And if you, got, if you kind of caught what we read here and even last Sunday, he ta- he's beginning to talk about his suffering, how he's going to die, how he's going to the cross. In the midst of all of that, Jesus says here, Jesus goes up to the mountain and he hears the voice of God and experiences God's presence. But here's what's the unique thing about this passage that was different from this passage from Mark chapter 1. Is this passage here is for his disciples. Look how the, this account is told, or I'll just read it for us. It says, Jesus was transfigured before them. Who's them? It's Peter, James, and John. They appear to them, Peter, James, and John, Elijah, and Moses. The cloud overshadowed them, Peter, James, and John. So this passage, this account, this glory is actually for these three disciples. Like they're at the center of what's happening here. And the question is, why why is that happening? Well, it's because Jesus is calling these three disciples and others to follow him. And he knows how hard it's going to be. Last Sunday we talked about this. You're going to lay down your life. It's going to take everything that you have to follow me. Your life will end like mine on the cross. There will be much suffering. And so as Jesus leads them, he wants to remind them 
that ultimately it's about glory. Like at the end of their journey, they will be with Christ in glory. And they needed to know that because the journey will be hard. And look what happens. The reason why I, I read a little more than this passage here is they come down, right? They have this marvelous experience with God. They encounter God's presence and they journey down and immediately they're faced with chaos. We read, they come, they journey down. Jesus is again, is talking about suffering and how hard it's going to be. And then they immediately, they're encountered by chaos. There's a demon-possessed boy. There's a father who is utterly, feels utterly helpless. And there's this conflict between his disciples and the religious leaders. There's this large crowd that's going back and forth. I mean, it's total chaos. And actually, it's a pattern that we see in Scripture. After Moses receives the Ten Commandments, he's in God's presence for 40 days. He comes down, there's chaos with the Israelites. Again, we talked about how Jesus experiences God's presence. He receives God's declaration of his love. He comes down, and he's, he's led into temptation. That's what's happening here. The reason why the second half of Mark starts with this passage is because Mark is telling us, and Jesus is leading his disciples to encounter God's glory because apart from it, they're not going to make it. They need to know that at the end waits glory. That's the New Testament, right? We talked about this last, uh, last year at the very end, during the Advent season. At the end, we will be in a glorious city with glorious people. And at the center, there will be the Lamb of God, and we will together worship Him, crying out, worthy, worthy, worthy. That's our destination. No more tears, no more pain, no more death. Glory. That waits us. However, in order for us to get there, we will journey through sufferings. And this is why, uh, again, Jesus starts here reminding at least His three closest disciples, this is what waits you. You need this. Now, throughout the Bible, um, it seems like God's people got this. Right? And so, you know, Moses is tasked with lead, uh, leading his, uh, God's people uh, through the desert. And Moses at one point says, I can't do this, God. What does he say? He says, show me your glory or don't send me. That's what Moses says. Uh, we've, I mean, there's several psalms like this, but in Psalm 73, the psalmist was faithful to God, but he, he hits a wall, and he wants to quit. He wants to give up. He says, this is not worth it. Right? I see people who are prospering, people who are successful, people are getting wealthy, but here I am trying to follow Yahweh, and it's hard. I, and he wants to give up, and then the middle of Psalm 73 says, until he entered the sanctuary of God, he experiences God's glory, God's presence. And he says, then I understood their destiny and my destiny. Again, in Psalm 63, David is being chased by his own son, Absalom. His own son, Absalom, wants to kill him. Talk about brokenness and chaos. That's what David experiences. But in, chapter, in, in Psalm 63, David says, out of all the things that he could be praying for, he says, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly seek you. David knew 
that even though circumstances are chaotic, what he needed at that time, he needed the presence of God in his life. He needed to encounter God. He needed to experience God's love for him. So why is this passage here? It's because our discipleship is hard. Last, again, last Sunday, we were laying down our life, or picking up our cross, or being open to ways that God would lead us. And we need to be reminded daily, weekly, however often, that glory waits us and God's presence go with us. So the third question then is, how do we access God's presence? Right? How do we access this glory? I'm going to share three things with you, and these are not earth-shattering things. It's just more of a reminder, the three reminders, and I think they'll make sense. Uh, number one, we access God's presence. We enter into God's presence through prayer. Uh, the parallel passage in Gospel of Luke, it says this. It's the same passage, but Luke gives us a little more um, description, and he says, Luke chapter 9, verse 28, it says, Now about eight days after these Sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James, went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. So this whole account, this, everything that, that we read about, happened in the midst of prayer. Prayer is not a magic formula. It's not like you say a few words, you know, you, you yeah, fold your hand and, and say a couple of things. It doesn't automatically uh, bring us God's presence. I mean, I wish it was that simple. But what prayer does is it helps us to stop. It's awfully hard to pray and, I don't know, read a magazine. It's awfully hard to pray and watch TV. It's awfully hard to pray and do something else. Only thing that worked for me is praying and walking. I, I kind of do that, like walking and praying, okay. But even then, I get distracted and looking at the trees and houses and like, what, when we pray, what are we doing? We're saying, God, this time, now, here I am. I am before you. Whether that's five minutes or ten minutes or an hour or a whole day, what we're saying is, God, I'm here. I want to be with you. And it's not like we're listing off things that we want. No, we're, uh, Jesus taught us how to pray, right? Our Father in heaven, we're just simply there being reminded of God's love for us. Hallowed be your name. We spend time worshiping him and thanking him for his grace and his kindness and provision for us. We repent of our sins, confession, confess with one another. We, we're praying for God's kingdom to come. We're praying, God, that God would move in our, in, in, in our lives lives and, and other people's lives. I mean, it's, it's communication. Prayer is about relationship. And it's in the midst of that, God comes. And God is always with us. We know that. But prayer helps us to push aside things that are unnecessary. We, we put them in the margins and we settle down and say, God, I'm here. I want to listen to you and I want to share with you what's on my heart. That's prayer. Really simple, but really hard to do. Number two, it's through God's word. Now, many years later, the Apostle Paul, um, excuse me, Peter, the Apostle Peter will write about this account in 2 Peter. And this is what he says. 2 Peter 
chapter 1, verse 16. It says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myth when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to Him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. So that's, he's, he's talking about the, the, uh, Mark chapter 9. Uh, from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And then verse 19 says, and we have, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. This is what Peter is getting at. Peter is saying, we heard the voice, the divine voice of God that reminded of who Jesus is and Jesus' glory. Then he goes on to say, but we, there is something more sure that speaks of Jesus' glory. And that's, he says, prophetic word. He's talking about the Old Testament. For us, that's the Bible. In Scripture, we see the glory of Christ. We can hear the divine voice of God. Now, it doesn't always happen like prayer. It's not a magic formula. It's not like you read, you open your Bible and read a few verses and you go, oh my gosh, I heard the voice of God. It doesn't work that way. I, again, I wish it did. <laughs> but it is again saying, we're trusting. We're saying, God, your word is living and active and I am here. I want to hear your voice in the midst of so many other voices in my life. I'm here, God, speak to me. And you dive into God's word and God will speak to you. We have something that's more, uh, speaks more of his glory than what Peter experienced in the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, some of the other translations says, we're more confident that God will speak to us in this way. Lastly, it's through uh, the grace of Jesus we enter into God's presence not because we try hard or not because we come to church or you read your Bible or pray, you know, feeling like you've, you've done, you've been a good person. No, it's by grace, grace of Jesus. You know, this passage, Jesus is glorified. He, he reveals his glory to, the, to these disciples, and they're terrified, but at the same time, they want to be with him. And then everything disappears, and the passage says only Jesus remained. Why does Jesus stay with the disciples? I mean, he's Jesus. He has glory. He could have went with Elijah and Moses, perhaps, but he stays. He journeys with his disciples to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, he will climb another mountain. And there, he's not with Moses and Elijah. He's with two thieves, criminals. There, he doesn't hear God's declaration of love for him. Actually, God remains silent. He's forsaken. Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He doesn't see radiant glory and beauty. No, he only experiences darkness. Why does, why does Jesus do that? Well, because Jesus left. He leaves. He left his glory so that one day he might bring us with him to glory. He did it for us. He did it for you. The book of Hebrews says, now we have this high priest. 
who identifies with our weaknesses. He's gone before us. And so we can enter into the presence of God with confidence. It's because of Jesus we can access and experience the presence of God today. Now, let me finish with this. Now, you could do this on your own. You could pray on your own. You can uh, read the Bible on your own. And you can, uh, uh, yeah, access the presence of God. Remind, remind yourself of who Jesus is and Jesus' story on your own. And you should do that. But when we gather on Sundays, that's what we're doing. We're praying together. We're praying about who he is. We're praying about, we're interceding in behalf of others. We're telling Jesus' story. We're encountering God's presence. And so my suggestion and my prayer, and I've been praying for this this week, is that whenever we gather here, we encounter God's presence. Because that's what we're here for. We're after three things when we gather here on Sundays. To encounter God's presence, to tell the story of Jesus well, and to be shaped by Him. Those three things. That's what we're doing together. And so I know many of you have busy lives and there are a lot of things going on. And sometimes it's hard to carve out times where you can really dive into God's Word or, or go deep in prayer or be reminded of God's grace for you. And that, I mean, that happens to all of us. But I want to encourage us to carve out this time because together we could do this. This is a weekly rhythm. We gather. We tell the story of Jesus. We remind ourselves through communion, through Scripture, God's grace for us. And we're shaped by it. And we encounter God's presence together. Friends, God, you know, as we started our time together, God's calling us. He's inviting us to worship, inviting us to be in his presence. So that's how I want to end uh, this morning. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. And, um, well, you know, we, uh, the pastors and elders, we, uh, you know, we talk about how we can um, just make sure that our time together on Sundays is meaningful for our church community and, and those who visit us. And, uh, you know, I think one thing that we want to do is we want to make sure that this time and this space is not rushed. And we don't want to go on and on and on. <laughs> you know, we don't want to do that. But we just want, we want to make sure that this is a space where you can hear from God and encounter God's presence. Because here's the thing, right? It's because we need it. Discipleship is hard. It's chaotic. Life is broken, just like what the disciples faced. That's what happens. That's, that's, that's life. And Jesus will talk more and more about suffering and, and hardships. And that's life. That's following Jesus. But in the midst of all of that, we need to encounter the presence of God and be reminded of Jesus and who He is for us. And so we want to make sure that this space is a space for that. And so... I'm going to ask our worship team to just play some music for us. And just want, I want to give us about, you know, three, four minutes. If you would just bow, bow your heads and...